0: Hello there. My name is Shirley Fisher and I'm an illustrator, creative business owner, and mom of two. I've been slowly growing from a part-time creator to a full-time working artist since 2016. So I know the joy and struggle of working for yourself and how mindset can impact your growth. It's here where we dig deep through vulnerable chats about running a creative business and uprooting our limiting beliefs. My hope is that you walk away from these conversations feeling empowered with a greater sense of clarity and community. So find a cozy spot, open up your heart, and prepare to be encouraged. Welcome to the Tillage Podcast.
1: Did the holidays sneak up on you last year and you had all the ideas, but you only had a week or two to get everything ready, so you didn't even bother? I'm telling you that just a couple of hours a week now will save you time, energy, and effort in November when you are wishing you had gotten yourself together to bring your beautiful work to your audience. Holiday gift givers are just waiting for you to show up to help them find beautiful and thoughtfully created treasures. Join Sarah Rafferty of Atwater Designs for a four-part live virtual workshop called Harness the Holidays, happening on Thursdays in August, starting August 10th to get you and your art business ready to sell during the holiday season. You'll learn how to create a plan, choosing your holiday product, the art of photography and storytelling, and everything you need to know to launch successfully. Sign up today and don't wait because enrollment closes this Thursday, August 3rd. Find the link in the description below or head on over to the tillagepodcast.com to find the link in today's show notes you will have yourself to thank for being prepared this holiday season.
0: Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for being here on the Tillage podcast today. I just know this is going to be a great conversation. I've been reading your blog and looking at everything you're doing, and you're just such an inspiring person, and I think you're just going to open up a little part of everyone's heart today. So Before we jump in, I would love for you to share your mediums, how you got into art, and just anything you want to share about your story.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Shirley. I'm so excited to be here. I love your podcast, and I hope that your listeners take away a golden nugget of something today. So I started drawing as soon as I can remember. I used to just go outside with a sketchbook and draw plants and then take them in and try to identify them. So I kind of got introduced to art. Like I was nature journaling and I didn't know it. That's just how I processed the world, how I processed my surroundings. I was homeschooled. So I had a lot of time outside. I didn't go to school until high school. So all of my childhood was spent with as much time outdoors as possible with pencil and paper in hand. And I was either making up stories in my head or drawing what I saw, drew on furniture sometimes, which was not as popular (laughs) (laughs) or behind clothes and closets. I remember that. So I've just always been drawing and I loved high school for the art classes. And then I went to RISD for a BFA, which is Bachelor of Fine Arts, and then Holland's University for my MFA, which is a Master of Fine Arts.
0: Wow. I can relate to the drawing on furniture. Definitely (laughs) carved my name in my headboard to be like one of the dwarves in Snow White. So I think it's fascinating when your childhood very much represents your interests and how they can find their way into your adulthood. So I love that. And you also forgot to mention that you are an author as well, and you incorporate a lot of Symbolism and, like you mentioned already, nature in your work. You also draw still from your childhood in a lot of the specifics of what you cling to in your art form. And so, mm-hmm. I would love for you to share where did this fascination begin, which I'm not going to give away the subject, and how does it influence your work now? Yeah. So, if you could share that, that would be awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, as of now, what I do is I'm an author and illustrator of children's books. And I really think I am seven years old, like internally, like that's still my age. I relate very much to being like somewhere around being seven and 10. And I just love that space of feeling curious about the world and feeling like there's always something new to discover. I really like looking at the smaller things, like not just, you know, the beautiful sunsets, which they are beautiful, but I like also noticing snails and bugs and seeds sprouting and like all the tiny things that are like tiny miracles. And I think this fascination has always been there because when I was a kid, my mom, you know, we used to watch a monarch transform in it's chrysalis. And so as part of like homeschooling, you know, we'd, we'd watch a caterpillar or two and that love of butterflies never, never went away. And I think that's the fascination you were referring to. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so I, I now have like I just follow their journey. I raise them and tag them. And over the past seven years, I've released about a thousand monarchs. Wow! So I'm I'm very obsessed with them. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: and I think that you shared like these tiny miracles, this interest in butterflies there's also this symbolism that I feel Mm -hmm. that you've drawn from in, you know, blogs that you've written, your art, your books. And so I'd love for you to share like what symbolism you have found like working with monarchs or anything that also influences your work and what inspires your work in general through that symbolism?
2: Well, for in the case of monarchs, I think I always was fascinated with them because of their sort of like their tiny strength, right? They're tiny and fragile, yet they have this strength where they fly three thousand miles, but their wings are paper thin and they can fly above storms. I haven't actually seen any yet this year um because of all the rain. So sometimes there are like things that hold them back. But in general they are very, very strong. And so that drew me in. And so I loved them as a kid and then as an adult And then I can touch upon this now because it feels relevant to the subject, but I got trapped in this relationship that I didn't know how I got trapped in it. And it lasted for 10 years and I was not let out in public for 10 years. I was basically captive. So I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. And during that time, I wasn't allowed to love things that I loved. Like I couldn't draw or paint out in the open and feel proud about it. It was always, you know, punished in some sort of negative way, whether it was verbal or emotional or like there was always an attack if I loved something else other than the person I was with Oh, and the same went for butterflies. And so it was almost a thing I became shameful about like, oh, I can't love what I love. I can't be who I am. I lost myself. I lost my individuality. And so when I left I immediately went back to art school and thought, I'm going to chase the things that I am passionate about. <laughs> and it took a while. Like I knew right away I wanted to create again. I wanted to write. I wanted to draw. And this is what led to my first novel in verse. Is That's the story. It's called The Road to After. And it's about... It's fiction. So it's not memoir. But it's about those, those years. It's about leaving, really. It's not about the time being there. It's about recovery. So right away, I started creating. But it took a little longer for me to feel okay about loving butterflies again. And once I did, it was like I really started feeling like myself again. And, and you know, it, it's like this connection point where, like, as soon as I see the first monarch of the season, my heart feels awakened again. It's like, oh, there they are. They're back. You know, it's this dependability. And I'm really worried for them because they're actually endangered. And so we we need to make sure that we're not destroying their habitats. And so I rescue them from hay fields so that they don't get mowed over by the tractor. And there's something in seeing their growth and their process from tiny, tiny pinpoint egg to caterpillar to chrysalis to monarch that, you know, it takes them four hours to dry. So I get to hang out with them a bit before they leave. And I just love watching them. I love being part of their journey because it feels so closely related to mine. And I thought I had my wings, but I actually think I'm in the chrysalis stage because <laughs> I feel like I'm in a little bit of a painful growth phase at the moment. And it's what I can relate to the most is like, you know, they they completely liquefy themselves in that chrysalis and somehow emerge with wings and when they form a chrysalis i can see that wing pattern on the green like i can tell where it's going to be but internally they're they're a mess <laughs> so i think for us as creatives to think that we're never going to feel like a mess internally it's to do a disservice to the whole creative journey and i think it's okay you know to have different stages in your process as an artist or as anyone who makes anything it's okay to not always have it together
0: I don't even know where to go after all of that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, we could go down just the topic of metamorphosis. We could talk about the mess. We could talk about the struggle to embrace the parts of ourselves that we have felt like ashamed of or like people won't really understand. And so I am going to take us down kind of that topic of just like emotion everything you just described like oftentimes we struggle with emotions as artists I think that's what makes us amazing because we feel so deeply which in essence is what brings our art to life oftentimes but it can also hold it back from being created as well and so I want to touch on this first and that's like If somebody is listening and they're like, wow, like I feel like I have this fascination or perhaps this obsession that I'm interested in, but it's been difficult for me to embrace that. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give somebody who is having to re embrace a part of themselves that they've had to like dim down? And maybe that's just being an artist, honestly. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just being an artist. Like somebody told them, You're never going to make it in this world being an artist. Like what advice would you give?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of things that come to mind. One is there was this book that I just listened to on audio by Rick Rubin called The Creative Act. I I would recommend that entire book. And there's a lot of things that he said that I'm just like, ooh, that's a quote, like pull that, pull that. But he talked about chasing awe, like chasing what we love. And in terms of priority, inspiration comes first. So whatever you're inspired by, chase that. We owe it to that thing to chase after it and see how far it will bring us. Because you never know, and this is me saying this, this wasn't his quote, but you never know what you're going to learn about yourself if you chase what you love. I don't think you can go wrong following something that sparks Inside of you. But his quote said, In terms of priority, inspiration comes first, you come next, the audience comes last. And I think sometimes we think we have to create for others, but if we are creating for ourselves and we love that, we love what we're creating, the audience can't help but love it too. And what we make isn't for everybody, it doesn't have to be. But the people who resonate with it are going to really resonate with it. And it's okay if it's not for everybody, but I think that as creatives, how we can keep ourselves going is to pursue what really lights us on fire and it can pull you through some really tough stuff. And don't think about like having to make it for an audience. Think about making it for you and what it does for you and how that serves you. And if an audience resonates with it, that's bonus like that, you know, but as as that part of our souls that needs to create, don't create for other people.
0: Oh, I love that. And it's really easy to get trapped there, especially when you are trying to make a living from your art, because there's often this pull to create to an audience or to the end consumer versus like you're suggesting is this creating out of this interest or inspiration and then that will follow. I love that.
2: So. In Elizabeth Gilbert's book called Big Magic, she talks about how if we have an idea that comes to us, or in this case, something that brings us awe, something that we're curious about that we want to follow, if we don't follow that, or if we don't take hold of that idea, that idea is going to come out somewhere because that idea needs to be born. This is what she describes, is that someone else is going to grab hold of that idea. And I have felt this many times. And when I'm making whatever it is that I want to make. And I remember that I remember that conversation that she has between, you know, she and one of her friends, because later in life, she discovered that a fellow writer did write her idea. And there's no way that they had either one of them had known because they hadn't known each other at that point, or they hadn't talked And I just, I always remembered that story because, I mean, there's something right now that I feel compelled to do in my business. And it feels so big that I am daunted by it. And I'm like, oh, I know if I don't do it, though, I'm going to see someone else do it and then kick myself for not having done it. So I'm kind of there right now with an idea that I have. And I just need to figure out the logistics and like, you know, get through the, the drudgery part of like figuring it out and then go for it. But I think that's something that is good to just keep in mind is that like, if you, if there is an inspiration, like chase it, actually, I, that's a line in my picture, book. chase it, find out where will it bring you? Because you you have to, you have to chase it.
0: And that's what the, beauty is with the artist's journey. If we're really open to that inspiration and opening ourselves up, then beautiful things happen. I think that there's a lot we still have to unpack about emotion. And, you know, this embracing who we are, but Mm -hmm. also like we already touched on is this feeling that sometimes our emotions or our circumstances actually get in the way of us creating and there's this wrestling and this dance that can take place. And so if you're open to going there, I think that this would be a great conversation and dialogue is to talk about like what happens when we want to create but we just don't feel like it. Like as creatives, we have goals, we have like desires, but Sometimes our emotions get the better of us and we just say, like, I don't want to do this right now. Like, has that been a part of your story? And do you have anything to share, like tools that would help people continue to create? Because it's so important.
2: Yeah. So, especially like if you are someone like myself, like, this is my living, this is what I do. So, there is that dual side of it where, like you said, you know, it's harder to create just for yourself if you're trying to also make a living. So sometimes there are things that I have to do because I really have to do them. And so I think just kind of going back to that, it's okay if that part that's for yourself is just your sketchbook, but then you have the side of your business that you have to keep going. That is for other people. I just think it's good to like save something for yourself, but there have been days recently where like I had to tackle a really big edit for my next novel in verse. And it's not that I didn't want to do it. It's that I didn't have the confidence to do it. And that really got, I was getting in my own way that got in my way because I would constantly be thinking about the fact that I had to do it. And the fact that like, I've written one book, come on, just do this next book. But there's something about each book that I've heard a lot of authors say, you feel like you don't know how to write that book again. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, each new book, you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And I just had to make myself. And what I what I realized is that once I sat down to do the work, everything else followed. All of that, like, what if going on in my head, that worry cycle I had going where like, I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't even think what I'm going to write or edit or change. What if I break the book? What if I, you know, (laughs) there's, there's all these worries and it's because I had a lot going on in my personal life. A lot of things that just, I was hard on myself about because I thought I've been gone 10 years. I shouldn't be at this place. I should be here. I should be there. So many shoulds that I was applying to who I think I should be or have going on or like I I should have advanced, you know, by this, you know, so I had things going on in my career that on the outside looked successful, but internally I've been kind of struggling with a lot of personal things. And so that was affecting my creative practice and that was affecting my ability to sit down and do the work. But, you know, like I said, I discovered that once I sat down to do it, it got better. And I have this sticker near my desk that says action cures fear.
0: Hmm. And
2: I try to remind myself that a lot because I may have a lot of fear about what I'm about to try or do. But as soon as I start doing it, the fear dissipates. And if I could just remember that the whole thing would be easier and I could fast forward to the part where I just sit down and do it and not have that cycle of like agonizing over doing it. So eventually, hopefully I'll learn, (laughs) but (laughs) in the meantime, you know, you just go through that process. We'll be back
1: after this short break. I'm so excited to announce that the Tillage podcast is now in the top 100 in the category of design in the United States. This means that you have given it tons of love by listening to it, sharing with your friends and also writing reviews. This truly helps the podcast stay up there. And so if you haven't written a review, I would love if you would stop this episode right now. You can come right back to it and write a review here on Apple Podcasts if this is where you're listening. Here's a review that came in recently that really just touched my heart. It says, I absolutely love this podcast. I've been binging the episodes since I discovered it a couple of months ago. The topics are so relevant to my experience as an aspiring artist, entrepreneur right now. Each episode gives me so much encouragement to keep going. Shirley has a warm, approachable demeanor, and you feel like you're chatting with a friend. Thanks so much for creating this podcast for the world, Shirley. And thank you so much for writing this review. I so appreciate you listening. And I am so happy that I can be an encouragement as you keep going on your artist entrepreneur journey. Now back to the show.
0: Yeah. Which brings us right back to this beautiful illustration of the monarch and what you're describing is real. Anyone who's listening to this episode who is an artist that's also trying to make a living at what they're doing can relate to that feeling of like, I have to show up today whether I want to or not. Like, this is my living. And I think it's very hard for others who aren't pursuing this to truly understand. This isn't a clock in nine to five. Like, when you are creating something, it is in your dreams. It's in your thoughts you are talking about it. You are wrestling with the process. You're wrestling with the emotions. You're dealing with outside circumstances, like everything you described. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been there where you just have to do the thing. And you're like, at the same time, like, but I don't want to, I have too much going on. So I just want to give just validation there like yeah Yeah. that's a thing we all experience it and we have permission to be in this chrysalis with this messiness can you actually describe for me though because I feel like you know a lot about monarchs what is actually going on you said the word liquefy and I'm like very intrigued what that actually looks like because I think it could just be this really incredible symbolism of like what's going on inside of us in that like creation metamorphosis stage of like when a new project or a new art piece is coming to life.
2: Yeah. So I have observed so many monarchs and they just continue to intrigue me. And so one of the things that happens, they molt, you know, as they're growing as a caterpillar, And they do this, I believe it's five times, and they call each stage an instar. So tiny caterpillars are in their first instar and they keep going. Or they go into their final stage of that last instar and become their green chrysalis. They make this silk button on the top of whatever they want to attach to. And they have this thing that sticks off their little caterpillar butt and (laughs) they unzip their last. Layer of stripes. So their outer skin, like completely just like splits in half, same place every time for every caterpillar. They do these like contractions and it starts like at the head. So they're hanging upside down, like in a J, and their legs are what's gripping onto the button at this point because they still have that like outer skin with all their feet still on there. So their legs are gripping to their little button. They're in a J. They straighten out, hanging upside down. They unzip that outer stripes. Then they have to do this trade-off where their legs are gripping, but inside they have this little nodule thing called a cremaster, and it has these, like, spikes on it. So it's going to grip to their little silk button, and they have to do this trade-off where they let go with their legs. They take out that little pokey stick and stick it onto the silk button, and they do this, like, twirly dance the entire time that they're, like, trying to get that last layer of skin off. Because it's still like hanging on up at the top. I know it's hard to like picture as I'm just talking about it. But so they do this pass off. They attach their new selves to that silk button that they created to like anchor onto. And then they wiggle that old skin off and it falls off like head and all like the the face, like everything that was there is like now on the ground. And they're left hanging there. And this is when they're in their most vulnerable state because their outer chrysalis hasn't hardened yet. So predators, like there's something called the tachnid fly. There's wasps. There's all these things that at that moment in nature, that's their opportunity to like parasitize them. So they're most vulnerable. Like as soon as they're, as they shed their old skin, they're now hanging there as this like new being. And it takes about an hour for that, like, outer shell on the chrysalis to harden. And at that point, you can see, like, where their wings have been under their skin the whole time. And it's the coolest thing to, like, see these, like, hairline thin outlines of, like, a wing that's just been on their back, just hanging out there, but hidden. And that just feels so meaningful to me that they've been these little caterpillars, like, how tiny were their wings when they were their first little instar, right? Were they there the whole time? I don't, I don't know. Probably. And then they're in this chrysalis where there's nothing they can do but wait. And that's the stage where they kind of turn into this like mush inside. And like, so it's about two weeks. And you know when they're ready, when the chrysalis starts darkening. And you can start seeing through that shell. And then they break open that layer again. So a Monarch goes through layers and layers and layers. They break open that layer and they kick it kind of apart to like get their head out, drop out. And then their wings flop out and they're like fabric. They're like wet fabric when their wings first come out. And then they start pumping fluid from their body to their wings and then they harden. And there I've, I try to be home as much as possible when I know I have monarchs that are about to eclose. That's the like scientific term for like emerge because if they fall while their wings are like fabric and they haven't formed yet, they won't fly. They won't make it. And so their wings will crumple or like if they crack like on a vein, the liquid that they're trying to like pump out will leak out and they won't, they won't grow. Their wings won't grow. Their wings will flop out as like a half inch long and then they grow to be like two and a half inches long. And that few like 10 minutes is like crucial to them becoming a butterfly. There's, it's just, it feels like there's no easy part for a monarch ever. (laughs) Like their whole (laughs) life just feels like a struggle. One struggle after the next. Which
0: is in a way, Maybe why so many of us listening to this, I'm like, oh, I can see a lot of symbolism in the journey of an artist. Like what you're describing and this process you were talking about, like once that caterpillar sheds its first layer, then they are most vulnerable to attack. And, you know, on the Tillage podcast, we're talking about all these things like mindset, growth. Personal development. And I'm just thinking about my own journey of like things that I have shed off, like finally feel like, oh, I've gained traction on this limiting belief. And I'm like letting it go. And then you have that moment where it's like, okay, you're starting to turn the corner and turn into this new part of yourself. But you still feel very susceptible to outer voices, critique, all those things. And so, I just love that this conversation with your interest in monarch butterflies, but also in symbolism to the artist's journey, it all just is weaving together so beautifully. I'm so excited to continue this conversation. So one of the things that we had talked about speaking on, because it's in a blog that you wrote, and I'm really excited to go into this direction because I think so many people, including myself, can relate to this And it's this feeling of a lot of us are these solopreneurs where we wear a lot of hats, we're doing all the things, and anything we accomplish is attributed to us, and anything we don't accomplish is attributed to us. And so with all the accolades that we have, with all the successes, the collaborations, I have felt this, and you said this in your blog is that we can still struggle to feel like we're enough. And I would love for you to speak on this because I think so many of us who are in this career are constantly feeling like we have to achieve the next thing. And even when we get there, we're still left with, oh, okay, I did that thing. What's next? And I still don't feel like I'm enough. So if you wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts on this and what has helped you realign with the truth that you truly are enough despite any of your accomplishments.
2: Yeah. So are are you familiar with the Enneagram? Oh
0: yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. So I'm a three, <laughs> which and and I resonate with like the wings two and four, but like my core is like a three, which means like I am a workaholic where, like, I am always looking for that next thing I can learn, the next thing I can sign up for, the next thing I... So right now, I'm actually, like, taking a class. I just finished novel edits. I homeschool my two girls who are 14 and 16. I have always homeschooled them since they were, like, four, I think, is when we started. So that's not new. Like, it's just... That's our lifestyle. I have a picture book on submission. I have a fabric collection coming out in the fall. I have so many plates spinning, like so many things that I'm doing. And yet, because of all of the personal things that have happened, like I thought 2023 was going to be this like amazing, like, oh, I'm ready for a better year. And then it laughed at me. (laughs) And it was (laughs) like, like, no, not yet. And you know, life... uh, There's just been so many things, losses, like close family and friends, like so true grief, my second divorce, like, I'm not going to list everything, but just like everything that you can think about as like, if any one of those things were to happen, it's hard, but combine them all. It's like, okay. And yet I have to continue making and creating and feeling confident and feeling like, I can do this because if my confidence is down, my work is not very good. (laughs) So there's that, like, like you were saying, you know, that feeling of being enough, like, if I don't feel like I'm enough, I'm never going to feel like my work is enough. So there's this, this thing kind of coming back to emotion where like, if you're a really authentic person and you're very sensitive and, you know, a lot of creators are, and I'm not trying to generalize or stereotype. Like, I just think like at least coming from like my point of view is like just the other day I was walking by the street and saw a tractor had gone by and like did all the trimming they're supposed to do of the ditch and the shrubs on the side. And I was heartbroken for like, oh, there must've been bird nests. And I kind of, you know, had asked around a few people, like, didn't they go too far? And everyone's like, oh, that's normal. And it was like, wow, why am I so bothered by this? (laughs) But the people around me are just like, that's, that's how they do it. Like, that's just the way things are. So I guess what I'm saying is like, I do feel a lot and I tend to have a hard time separating myself from my work because what I make is so much of like myself. I mean, my first novel was so much of like myself and my past and my journey and my daughters. And so what I kind of come back to is like, not ignoring it, but just facing it. Is like, so I just read a book by Mira Lee Patel called My Friend Fear. And I'm currently reading her new one called How It Feels to Find Yourself. And I would also recommend that book because there's so much in it that I'm just like nodding my head while I'm reading it. And I'm like, wow, she gets this because she also is not afraid to share that like she has had feelings of inadequacy. And when someone else shares something like that, it just makes you feel like you have permission to share it too. Mm -hmm. Or like, it's normalized. It's not that you're not alone, that you don't have to put this perfect forward facing image on social media and not acknowledge at least a little bit of the humanity going on. Like, I think there is, you know, a level of professionalism. I'm not saying, you know, share your diary pages, but I think it's okay to admit, like in my blog post, I didn't give like super details. I was just like, things kind of stink right now. (laughs) And I'm working through it. And the way I'm working through it is by making myself continue to be creative. So it's that creative practice that you have such a hard time facing that actually ends up helping you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, full circle moment. How how does that work? (laughs) But it's so (laughs) true. I think that, you know, a lot of the time, the things that we avoid doing are the most helpful to us. That can be a whole list of things we could come up with. But what's wonderful about creativity is like you're saying, even when we're not feeling it, if we push through, there's a lot of healing to be had. There's beauty to be at the end of that. And I think that if I were to wrap this whole conversation up in this little bow, is something that you say in your blog post that I keep referring to that everyone should go and read, which is... Can
2: I share something funny about that blog post? Like, I almost didn't share it. It's kind of like, what, like so I loved your episode where you shared you know, honestly and openly about the fire. And I remember something you said in there of like, I I re-recorded this because I I chickened out, right? Like you almost didn't share it. And that's how I feel about this blog post is like, I actually like told some of my artist friends, I was like, I hope I don't regret it. (laughs) Because it's so hard to share, you know, vulnerable pieces of ourselves. But what I find is that when you do it in a way that is, intentional and thought out like don't do it at midnight and hit send and then wake up the next morning and be like oh no you know but I really almost didn't publish it
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know the episodes I've had the most hesitancy about posting and it's interesting because every episode I record if it's a solo episode I have at least a couple of days where I can mull on it Mm -hmm. while it's, like, getting the finishing touches by the editor I work with. And I'm always like, uh, do you still feel okay about this? Like, you might be sharing some things. Like, the whole procrastination episode. Like, I very openly threw it all out there. That I have real struggles still with, like, doing a morning routine and all of those things. But I think when we feel that apprehension, it's not always... A red light to stop. It's just that feeling that I think is very normal where you're like, this feels like I could be alone on the other side of this, which is really a lie. Yeah. Because everyone can relate to what you wrote in your blog (laughs) post and you aren't alone on the other side. You actually are extending your arms and going, come on, everybody, come on into this cool part of the circle because. We're all here facing the same thing. And so with that being said, I want to read what you wrote, which was, "...as creatives, it's hard to not let personal emotions interfere with the work we're making because so much of what we make comes straight from our heart." Maybe we should let more of what we feel affect the work. Maybe I fight that part too much. Personally, when my heart is in a state of weakness, my work feels weak as well. Or when I'm frustrated, I don't create easily. Mm -hmm. So, everything that we're saying, this nice tight little bow that we're creating, is that this is a complex experience of being an artist and having our emotions influence our work, but also like this dance of, playing with everything that we're experiencing and have it also influence our work as well. And so I just loved that. And Thank you. I just want to commend you for being brave enough to post it. And I hope that others, you know, are very touched by everything that you shared there.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. I think I wrote it to also like remind myself that it's okay you know, to have a hard time. No one's perfect. We go through a lot, especially if you are a creator, you know, humans go through a lot, no matter (laughs) what you do. But if you're trying to like put yourself out there in making something, it's, it's super hard. And to try to find that energy or that like spine to do it anyway, if you can, it really helps you. That's what I've discovered is that. Art has always been there, even when other things were falling apart. And if you're finding it hard to create the work that you have to make, like commercially, but you know that you want to get there, just start with a sketchbook practice. You know, do something that makes you feel creative that can start, it can start as a tiny little spark and then just keep that spark alive. And for me, that's been nature journaling, I've been doing that kind of as like a side, a side thing for myself. And that helps me become present and go outside. And, you know, I share them sometimes, but I don't share all of them. So find whatever that is for you. And even if you don't feel like doing it, it's kind of like working out. You always feel better after. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Same with the creative practice. I think you always end up feeling better after, because after I submitted that edit that I had been like, feeling like I just couldn't do, I felt so much better. And I said, "Wow, it feels good to be back." <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow. There's so much that was in this conversation that is just a breath of fresh air to talk openly about all the things that we feel and struggle with and how important it is to chase after our inspiration despite whatever is going on or whatever we're feeling and mm-hmm if everyone listening is just so intrigued by your books or your blog, or they perhaps want to see the artwork that you create of these beautiful monarchs, I'd love for you to share where people can find you online and connect with you.
2: Sure. So my website is rebeccalowell.com, and Rebecca is spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H. And I am at Rebecca Lowell on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok. So anywhere (laughs) that you just put at Rebecca Lowell, that's that's all my tags. Thanks
0: again for being here and just sharing so openly about your story. And I'm just so thankful that you came on the podcast today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I have enjoyed talking with you and connecting with another creative who also feels like I do. (laughs) So (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Here are
1: the key takeaways of today's episode. Chase after what inspires you and make it a priority. Create for yourself first and don't solely focus on pleasing your audience. If you love what you create, others are more likely to love it as well. Action cures fear. It's important to remember that our external successes don't always reflect our inner struggles. As creatives, it's natural to feel deeply. However, emotions can sometimes hold you back from creating. It's essential to find a balance and navigate through the struggles to continue to create. The metamorphosis of a monarch butterfly serves as a beautiful symbol for the artist's journey. Shedding old beliefs, embracing vulnerability, and persevering through struggles are all part of the creative process. Art has the power to be a supportive outlet during tough experiences. Sharing personal struggles and vulnerabilities can not only help you find healing, but it also connects with others who may be experiencing similar feelings. And lastly, if you're finding it hard to create and don't want to lose the spark, start with a sketchbook. You'll always feel better after starting your creative practice.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Tillich podcast. It brings me so much joy knowing that you spent your very precious time with me here today. If you want more, head on over to thetillagepodcast.com for today's show notes. And I'll be back next week with another episode.